Now, what I want to do tonight before we go any further is kind of put out a disclaimer. <laughs> uh, because there's many of you here tonight who are maybe single, you might be divorced, uh, you're not married, and I can see how this might be the point in the evening where you check out <laughs> and go, oh, here we go, marriage and relationships, come back in a couple weeks. And I get that. But I want to really strongly encourage you tonight not to do that. Really, uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, number one, because people are people. And number two, because relationships are relationships. Whether we're talking about marriages, whether we're talking about friendships, or any type of relationship, we're going to unpack tonight some biblical truths and principles that I promise connect all the way across the board. And tonight as we go on, you'll see that even tonight, this message is really not as much about uh, marriage as it is about faith. We're going to hang out tonight looking at a, a very famous couple from the Old Testament by the name of Abraham and Sarah. Abram uh, was uh, once Abram, obviously, before God changed his name to Abraham. And we're going to look at Sarai, and God eventually changed her name to Sarah. And we're going to look at their marital journey. They grew old together. But they came to a point in their marriage where they kind of stepped back and said, hmm, this maybe didn't turn out quite the way we thought it would. And I think we'll be able to really resonate with that tonight as we spend some time hanging out together. There was a married couple celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Special, special day. That morning before breakfast, the wife says to her husband, Honey, let's spice it up a little bit. Do you want to eat breakfast in the nude? And he says, I, I guess. And so they're there at the breakfast table, and she perks up and says, Do I look as hot as I did 50 years ago on our wedding day? sitting there over his oatmeal on his morning routine. Without even hardly looking up, he says, yeah, I guess so, considering part of you in your coffee and the other parts in your oatmeal. <laughs> now, my whole point is this. Whether you've been married two years, five years, 19 years, you come to a point where maybe you go, I don't know if where we are now is what we maybe necessarily expected it to be. For those of you that are married, I want you to kind of rewind and go back to your premarital days before you were married and ask you this question. At that time, what was your picture of what you thought marriage would be like and look like? You had a picture in your mind. And I'm guessing that the story was the same pretty much for all of us. It probably went a little something like this. When you finally met that one that you knew was the one, you got filled with what I would call the tingly winglies, right? which is Greek for arousal, not so much uh, relationally or physically, but even emotionally, so that when you were around that person, you just felt this powerful feeling of, gosh, I just want to be with them all the time. You did crazy things like you wrote cards, and instead of signing them, love Bob or love Tina, you wrote words and sentences and paragraphs and gushy poetry that went on and on and on. You wanted to be with that person every time you could, but you couldn't stand it. i got to be with them whenever it's possible. And you were convinced that those tingly-winglies were going to carry on right on into marriage and through the end of your marital journey. You knew that you would get married, and then you'd get the perfect house. And then you'd have the white picket fence. Then someday you'd get a dog, because Christians don't own cats. And you would have that, and then, then you would have kids, and, and you would have two perfect children. We'd have the boy first, and then right exactly about two years later, because we're planners, then we're going to have the girl. Then we're going to have the successful career, we're going to travel some, and we're going to grow old together, and those tingly winglies are going to carry all throughout our marital journey. Now, fast forward back to tonight. 
And maybe you've had to fast forward back to this night five years from your wedding day, 12 years, 49 years. And as you sit here tonight thinking about your marriage, I want to ask you this question. Tonight, what would you say you want out of your marriage? How would you answer that tonight? Some of you might say, we're just trying not to kill each other. (laughs) We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to stay afloat financially. We're just trying to keep our kids out of jail. (laughs) And maybe where you're at now is not quite what you expected it to be. You didn't expect for one of you to be sitting on the toilet with the door open while the other one's brushing their teeth and you're collectively making a grocery list. You didn't see that coming. You didn't think that your conversations were going to consist of prescription refills in your pill bag. And maybe at this point, that relationship has become something that now you can only rent (laughs) through Netflix. Maybe it's not exactly what you expected it to be. I'll never forget, man, fall of 1990. I went off to Moorhead State University. No desire to find a person, get married, all that kind of stuff. I just wanted to go to college. And two weeks in, man, I was hit with the tingly winglies. I had been bit in the butt by love because I met this girl, Tara Nash from Jenkins, Kentucky. I had a little bit of mullet going on there, didn't I? Yeah, baby. Jimmy Kimmel, yeah, about 300 pounds ago. And, uh, but I met her, and it was that thing, oh, my word. And I just knew she's the one. She was a sophomore. I was a freshman. And I had to pursue her for a year before she would date me. And she would always say, oh, Chad, I just, I don't want to mess up our friendship, which I thought meant if you lose a few pounds, maybe. But I realized she was being sincere when she said that. And so I began to pursue her. And the tingly winglies were all over, man. I wrote her cards for odd days like Grandparents Day and St. Patrick's Day, weird kind of stuff. And then I remember that Christmas before going home from finals. She still hadn't said she'd even go out with me. I said, I'm just putting it all on the line. I called her into this room on campus. I remember I had the Santa hat on. I was DJing this dance. And I said, I'm just going to put it all out tonight. I think you're the one. I am in love with you. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. I'm going to take a risk and put it out there. And I had this kind of picture in my mind of what that might be with music underscoring and curtains blowing in the background. And she looked me in the eyes, and this was her response. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. But I didn't give up. I kept pursuing her. And finally, in about April of the following year, she said yes. And we began to date. And it began this crazy journey through college of just having fun. I'd found this person I could totally be myself around. I just wanted to spend every waking moment of my life with. I loved her mall hair. I loved everything about her. And finally, in 1995, she said yes and we got married. And that was an awesome day. And I remember right away, man, I wanted to start a family with her, and we thought, man, we're going to start this right away. We want to have kids. Not knowing it wouldn't go as we had planned, that we would go on this eight-year roller coaster ride of infertility, failed adoptions, stuff we hadn't necessarily planned for, then finally God gave us these guys through adoption. It's just his plan, not ours. His timing, not ours. And our journey together continued. I got involved in full-time vocational ministry. We grew older together, and our family continued to grow. And I got balder, and we were a little more tired. And life took a weird trail. I'm 41 now, and I'm an elementary drama teacher. And, and now we lay in bed sometimes at night, not whispering sweet nothings. Instead, we're talking about our allergies. You know, things are a little bit different. And then we make weird videos like this that for some reason millions of people around the world are interested in. It makes no sense whatsoever. 
My boys could care less, by the way. They think it's really stupid. But my whole point is this. Tara and I, we had that picture when we started our marital journey of what we thought it would look like, how those tingly winglies would carry us through till we grew old, and we knew it was going to lay out just like this, 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 and this. And today it's not bad, it's great, but it's not necessarily what we had expected. And I think that many of you tonight maybe sit here and you look at maybe your own individual life, or you look at your marriage and you might honestly say, this isn't really what I necessarily planned for. You're sitting here single and you're saying, I thought I would have been married by now. Or maybe you're married and you're saying, this isn't where I thought we would be at this point in our marriage. And if you ever feel those things or wrestle with that, you're going to really dial in tonight with Abraham and Sarah. That's exactly where they were as we look at their marriage and their relationship. We're going to begin back in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And you don't have to worry if you don't have your Bible. All the text and words are going to be up on the screen. But we start out where God is speaking very boldly to Abram. And this is what God says to him, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12. God says, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And then God's not done. He's getting ready to just unload this massive, crazy kind of promise. He says, Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God's saying, Abram, I've got something amazing for you and Sarah. You're going to have kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, descendants in this incredible nation. But in order to experience that blessing, first you're going to have to go. And I'm not necessarily telling you where that is that I'm going to take you. I need you to trust me to uproot from where you are right now and just go. And the crazy thing about Abram, his response was, all right, I'm in. He's described in Scripture as one of those Hall of Faith kind of guys. He went. And I think tonight there's a strong possibility God's going to speak to some of us, including me, saying, you know what, there's somewhere I want you to go in your marriage or in your personal life or in a relationship with someone. And where I want to take you, it's going to require you to have to get up and move and to go into some uncharted water you've never been before. You may not know what that necessarily looks like yet. But I'm going to uproot you from what's familiar, maybe some patterns that are kind of dysfunctional, so I can take you to a new normal and create some new kind of steps. But it's going to take you in kind of the zone of the unknown. And you wonder if we will follow and be faithful like Abraham was. Chapter 11, verse 8 of Hebrews describes the faith of Abraham. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He just went. And I can't imagine that. I can't imagine God saying, Chad, uh, tomorrow I want you to uproot everything you know from your home, your work, your friends, your family, and you're just going to follow me. I'm not going to tell you where you're going to end up. I just need you to go and follow me. (laughs) Incredible faith here. And I can't imagine the conversation when he comes home to Sarah and says, hey babe, we need to talk. Um, I was kind of praying the other day to God and he wants us to kind of move and I don't know where we're going. Where are we going? I'm not sure. (laughs) She must have freaked out. I mean, nobody likes to move anyway. Moving back then would have been horrific. You didn't have two men in a truck, like two men in a camel. I mean, it was just a a huge ordeal. You couldn't call ahead to a realtor and say, hey, over the next couple months, we're looking for kind of a three-bedroom, two-bath, great school district kind of deal. didn't have any of that. Abraham and Sarah literally uprooted from everything they knew, and they just ventured out. Incredible faith. 
And there's going to be times in life where God is calling you and I to something better, some promise He has for us. And we might not necessarily know what all that looks like yet. We might not know the details, but He's calling us to get up and to follow Him. And I don't know about you, but in my journey with the Lord, one thing I've learned is that God rarely gives you the details, right? If you're anything like me, when He calls me to something, I want to know, God, okay, well then, what all does this involve? I mean, God, I'm, I'm interested, I'm open, I need to know some more information first. <laughs> and what I've learned about God is two things. He rarely gives you the details for two reasons. Number one, because He knows if He gave you the details, it wouldn't require any faith. It just wouldn't. And secondly, if you had all the details, you and I, we, we probably wouldn't do it. Obedience just wouldn't happen. But Abraham and Sarah were different. They went. They ventured out. And the New Testament consistently describes them as this amazing couple of faith. But what's ironic is when you go back here in the Old Testament, they don't look like a very faithful couple. They look like a very faithless couple. And you're going to see tonight that they faltered in their faith several times. First with Abram. Then we're going to see where Sarah faltered in her faith. And then as a couple for a third time where they totally blew it in their faith. But what gives me great comfort as somebody who falters in his own faith all the time is that in Scripture, God still characterizes them as people of faith. Even when they were faithless, he was faithful. But I want to look at their journey for a few moments tonight and see some things we can learn from their relationship, whether you're married or not. This is really more about a faith kind of thing tonight. We're going to look at their life and see what are some things that potentially traps we can fall into and maybe things in our life don't really go maybe as planned or expected. And I encourage you to jot some of this down. First thing that can happen is we can fall victim to fear. And that's exactly what happened here with Abraham. He was the first one to falter in his faith of the two. We read that there was a great famine in the land. Economy had tanked, so he's moving his whole family to Egypt. But he ran into some fear along the way. And he made a really sinful decision, totally out of fear. Look at me in verses 11 through 13. It says, As Abram was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. And you know what? They will kill me, and they will let you live. So here's the deal, Sarah. I need you to say you're my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, And my life will be spared because of you. Now, this might be the point where you're reading this passage going, what are you talking about, Willis? (laughs) What's going on here? This sounds crazy. But back then, when you ventured into enemy territory, that enemy, if they were interested in your wife and having your wife, they could totally take her and kill you. Which for me, if I lived back then, I would never want to venture into enemy territory because I'm married way out of my league, and in moments I would be a dead man walking. Totally. But here, all of a sudden, it seems like Abraham has quickly forgotten about God's promise. Abraham, remember? Kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, a great nation, descendants, hey! And all of a sudden, he's like, I'm going to get killed, I'm going to die, right? He totally forgets God's promise, and he lets fear begin to take over. And he's not trusting God to do what he said he was going to do. Now, let's fast forward to today. Don't you see this happening all the time in our culture, in the church? People are driven by fear and the what-ifs. I have great friends that continue to postpone marriage. Because they're like, what if? What if we get married and he cheats? 
What if we get married and we can't make it financially? What if we get married and she's a nag? What if we get married and we can't get pregnant? What if? Some of you are Christ followers here tonight, and there's a commandment in Scripture where God has called you to, as an offering, give a minimum of 10% of your finances to his ministry and to his local church. Not because he needs it, because he's God. It's an act of worship. And yet we're still not doing it. We're going, I'd love to do that, but what if we don't have enough for this, or I need those shoes, or this car payment? What if? What if? Some of you are, are worried about other things. Some of you want to maybe be a stay-at-home mom or homeschool. But you're like, but what if people make fun of that? I don't get that. What if that doesn't work out? Maybe God's calling you to be really generous with your stuff, but what if we start doing that and we don't have enough? Maybe God's calling you to be foster parents and take a child in your home, but you go, but what if that child comes and they have problems? What if they don't gel well with our kids and it creates a very stressful dynamic in our home? What if? What if? And in that, we talk ourselves out of being obedient to God. Personally, I can't tell you how many times my wife and I, over our years of marriage, have had to talk ourselves into faith. In 2003, I was a worship pastor of a church in this area that ran about 2,500 people. Phenomenal place to serve. Great people. Could have retired there. Got to lead a team of a couple hundred people. Just a great place. But for a year or two, God had been pressing on my heart and my wife's heart as well. This just burden for our friends who didn't go to church, didn't believe in God. Some of them were interested in God and spiritual things, but they hated church people. They had bad experiences, and our heart just pounded of our chest to do something to reach them. And so we said, you know what? God is calling us. So we just adopted our first son from birth, and this isn't a good time. And golly, I mean, I'm 30 years old, and we're settled, and ah. And, but we said, you know what? Let's do this. People looked at us like we were smoking weed. We weren't. God had just been very clear to us that this is what he was calling us to do. And the moment we said yes and we're obedient, fear came from everywhere. I got to tell you. We were just freaking out all the time. What are my parents going to say? What are your parents going to say? What if we launch this church and the first day nobody comes? How are we going to get offices? We don't have a facility. What if nobody likes this? And, and what if we don't have enough money? And how's this going to take place? And what are our church friends going to think? And what are our other friends over here going to think? And what if, what if? And finally, my wife, who's spiritually much more mature than I am, says, slow down, Chad. If God has called us to do this, why wouldn't he equip us to do it, Right? And she said something very profound. She said, for once, let's have faith in advance. <laughs> you ever do this? You stress, you worry, you think God's not going to come through, and then you go, man, God really came through. God is so good. Good, good to go, God. And for once, Tara's like, let's have faith in advance. His track record is perfect. He's never failed on his promises. And she was right. But a lot of times we let fear take us out of the game and from being obedient and I have to believe that some of you are here tonight and God is prompting you or moving you to take some type of a step into the unknown or to something that's a little out of your comfort zone in your marriage, as a parent, in your relationship, something in your personal life. But if you're not careful, you're going to let the what-ifs and the fear totally talk you out of it. And I don't know about you, but one thing I've learned is 95% of my what-ifs, they never even happen. <laughs> Most of them don't even ever even come to fruition. Abram freaked out. God had made this promise. And all of a sudden he's like, I'm going to die, right? So he says, here's the deal, Sarah. You're my sister. Shh, on the down low. Stop believing the promise and they gave in to fear. 
That's just one thing that can happen when all of a sudden our plans, because we're all planners and control people, when things aren't going as we thought they should or in the timing they should, all of a sudden we start operating out of fear. But there's something else we see in Abraham and Sarah's life too that can happen when things aren't going as planned or expected. And that is this, that is that we tend to get ahead of God if we're not careful. You ever get ahead of God? How many of you are like control freaks? Just be honest. You've got everything planned out, your day, your routine. We're going to have kids on this month and the next one here, and we're going to move on this date, and this is how this is all going to play out. And then God takes that and goes, messes it up like a hairdo. Just, and nothing is going the way that you planned. Well, this is where we're going to see Sarai take her turn to totally falter in her faith. Abram got the ball rolling, and now it's her turn. She's getting frustrated. She's like, God, you said a few years ago we're going to have kids. Nothing. So I don't know where you are, God, if your plans change, but I'm getting on this because something's got to give. I'm going to take the reins. I'm going to make this happen because I don't like your timing, God. And that's exactly what Sarai did. She messed up. Look at Genesis 16, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Again, Abraham was supposed to have kids, no kids, come on. It says, But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, so she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Now let's pause here for a moment. This is where some of the dudes in the room go, Cool story, man. She's like asking her husband to go sleep with her friend. No, it's not good. And on a side note, her name was Hagar. I mean, I don't have a picture of Hagar, but the picture in my mind is like this Russian female weightlifter on steroids with hair on her arms. I'm Hagar. Hello. It probably wasn't that great. But she says, go sleep with my maidservant. And then notice what she says. She says, perhaps I could build a family through her. What did she not say? She didn't say, God's got this. He promises this. God's always good on his word. I'm going to dial in here and I'm going to wait on God. No. Instead, she says, I got this. I'm going to take control. I don't want to wait. And they gave in and made a horrible decision. Abram sleeps with Hagar, they have a son, and it's a mess. It leads to years of catfighting, jealousy, relational tension. It's a disaster, and it wasn't God's will. All because Sarai, or Sarah, couldn't wait. And this happens in our lives all the time. I meet young women who are like, why am I not married yet? And they're just free, I'm not married. And so eventually, because they can't wait, they say yes to the first guy who's got a pulse in a wallet. And a year later, they're divorced going, God, why? You know? I see young couples who get married in their 20s, and they want to live like their parents do who are in their 50s and 60s, not realizing those parents took 30 years to save and to get to that place financially, and they want it right now because they can't wait. And so they leverage themselves in all types of crazy debt and put this financial noose they live around their neck with 24 hours a day because they can't wait. They just can't wait. God, where are you? I'm, i got to get ahead of you here. So nothing's happening. I'm going to move. don't know where you are. Here we go. I see people who hate their boss or hate their job. They don't like the environment. Instead of waiting to find something, they just fire off the email, don't give any notice, and they quit. I'm out of here. And 13 months later, they're unemployed going, God, what, why can't I meet my bills? Because they couldn't wait. If you don't get anything else tonight, write this down. God is rarely early, but he is never late. 
God is rarely early, but He is never late. His timing is perfect. A lot of times we panic, God, where are you? God, God, what are you doing? And we tend to think that waiting on God is this passive, boring kind of thing. When honestly, waiting on God sometimes is the most active, faith-filled adventure in our spiritual journey. Sarai panicked. She freaked. God, I don't know what the deal is. It's been 11, 12 years now. I'm sorry, man. I'm not waiting. We've got to make something happen here. It's so easy to make decisions that way because we just can't wait on God's timing. We give in to fear. We get ahead of God. And then one more thing we see. We've seen Abraham falter in his faith. Then Sarai falters in her faith. And finally, as a couple, they're going to falter in their faith together now. And we see this thing. Something else that can happen when things maybe aren't going as planned or expected, and that is this. We just don't believe God will do it for us. We just don't believe God will do it for us. We believe in God. We go, you know what, I bet he would do it in their life. I'm sure he answers her prayers and that family's prayers, and I'm not saying he wouldn't do it for them, but we just down in our heart of hearts don't really believe anymore that God would do it for us. And you know, in defense to Abraham and Sarah, I kind of feel for them here. Because they've got total grounds for losing faith at this point. At this point in their journey, they are 30 years removed from God's initial promise. Think about that. It's been 30 years since God said, you're going to have a son, you're going to have kids, you're going to have grandkids, great-grandkids, this whole massive nation, you will be blessed. And it's 30 years later and still crickets. <laughs> Nothing. I get that. I mean, that's, that's got to be tough for them. They're human beings just like us. I'm sure they had already had the shower and they had done a nursery and they'd gone to the doctor and done infertility treatments and all this kind of stuff and they're going, okay God, what gives? And if you get into their shoes, it would be so easy, so easy to, to lose some faith in that journey. I know for my wife and I, we dealt with that. Ours was only an eight-year journey. But you start saying, oh man, we're going to have a family and here we go. And you're like, God, why? Where, where's the kids? Why can't we get pregnant? Then the ups and downs of infertility treatments. And you see people having kids that shouldn't be having kids. You see people that seem like they're just bumping each other in the hallway and they've got twi- they're expecting twins. And you're like, God, why not us? You know? And it's easy along that way to lose faith. We had a private adoption opportunity that we went through this whole thing probably with this girl and her family. And we had a nursery and we'd had a shower. And two weeks before the baby was going to be born, this little girl was going to be our child, the grandma sends me an email and says, we're not doing this. Oh, and you're like, okay, God, I mean, you've, you've promised us you're going to build our family in some way. A couple years later, we get our first call from agency in Louisville, and we can't move on it because there's too many legal ramifications. So you're, you're in tears going, God, what if that's the only phone call we ever get? What if we never get chosen? So you and I, we get it. We go through the seasons where just like Abraham and Sarah, it is easy to lose the faith. But it's really interesting what happens here with Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 17, 17. We're 30 years removed now. God says, I'm going to give you a son, I promise. And the Bible says this in verse 17. It says, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Come on. I mean, is Sarah going to bear a child at the age of 90? In other words, he's like, God, this is centuries before Viagra. There's no blue pill. My, there's dust on my wife's womb. I mean, look how old you are. This is insane. And they're just laughing, going, God, whatever. This has got to be the craziest promise I've ever heard in my life. They're just laughing and being cynical. And Sarah's is laughing as much and, and as cynical as Abraham. Look what it says here in verse 12 of Genesis 18. It says, 
So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? There's some intensity picking up in this conversation here. God seems a little bothered. Why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? And then in verse 14, God asks this question that must have just pierced their souls as people who believed in him and were followers. He asks a question that just had to just drive right to their heart. He says this, God says, so is anything too hard for the Lord? Come on, guys, really? I mean, you guys are sitting here laughing. You're basically mocking me. I've made you this promise, and you're saying, look at us, we're 100. There's dust on all these. These parts don't work. Come on, God, and you're just making a mockery of it. So what you're saying is, is even though I'm God, there's some things that I simply can't pull off. And I can't prove this, but I've got to believe at that moment there was a major shift in their faith. There was some type of an awakening where they snapped out and went, what are we thinking here? This is God. His promises are always good. He keeps his word. He never fails us. He follows through on his word day in and day out. We can take him at his word. Something clicked. There was a transition in their journey with him. And they kind of snapped back to life and to faith. And I know that some of you may be here tonight and you're in that same boat as Abraham and Sarah. Maybe you're struggling to conceive. That's your thing. And you sit here and go, it's never going to happen for us. And then if we adopt, we'll never be able to afford adoption. No birth mom's ever going to pick us. This isn't in the cards for us. And what I would say to you very gently tonight is that same question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything really too hard for Him? Some of you here are going, man, we are in financial disarray. There's no way we're ever going to get ahead. There's no way we're ever going to climb out of debt. There's no way we're ever going to climb out of this basement of just financial disarray. And I would ask you again, is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you're in your marriage or in a relationship and you're like, God, my, my wife just this and that and I can't stand this about her and she's selfless in these ways and this brings tension to our marriage and I just, God, this is never going to change. And, and I would say to you, but why couldn't God at any moment take her and draw him Draw her to him and change her heart and her mind and her spirit. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, my husband, I mean, it's all about him. And he, when he comes home, he never wants to play with the kids. It's never about me. It's all about him. And he's selfish and on and on and on. I want to say, couldn't God at any moment arrest your husband's heart and transform into a man of God? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Oh man, our kids are off the chain. I mean, they're so rebellious and as parents we feel like a failure and there's this and that. And again, is anything too hard for the Lord? See, sometimes I think our God is too small. Our God is too small. But I want to encourage you tonight, if you sit here and you would consider yourself faithless <laughs> instead of faithful, the Bible says here you're in really good company. Abraham and Sarah were characterized as people of amazing faith who stepped out on God's word and trusted him. Yet they faltered in their faith a lot. Scripture says they messed up over and over and over again, yet they ended up being characterized in the end as people of faith. And the same thing can still be true for you and I. Because when we're faithless, God is still faithful. But like us, Abraham and Sarah, they kept shrinking their God. They kept shrinking God. But then something happened. 
Romans 4, 19 through 21. There's a transition here that takes place. It says, without weakening in his faith, he, Abram, faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. First part of this passage, Abraham is just focused on the facts. I'm 100 years old, I'm dead, I'm old, my wife is old, her womb is old, <laughs> whatever, this thing. He's all focused on the facts. But I'm going to tell you, church, tonight, there's a difference between the facts and the truth. You hear me? There's a difference between the facts and the truth. Facts can change. Truth never changes. It never changes. The fact was, Abraham, his body was old, and it was near death, and so was Sarah's. But the truth was, God had made them a promise. And truth trumps fact every single time. Every single time. And then we see the shift here in verse 20. It says, yet... Abraham, he, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God, being fully, there's an important word there, being fully, not partially, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Do you ever waver in your faith? Man, I do. Every day. Maybe you sit here tonight in life, marriage, some personal things. They've not gone as you had planned. You're at a crossroads where you're like, this is not what I expected for this area of my life. And if that's how you feel, I want to encourage you with this final verse from Proverbs 19, verse 21. It says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. So you and I, we got plans all the time. I think this is probably how this relationship's going to turn out. We're going to do this in our marriage, and this is what's going to happen with our kids, and hopefully in two years we'll be here financially, and then this over here with my health. And a lot of times none of that goes as planned or as we had expected. It says, but even when that happens, the Lord's purpose will prevail. Because truth trumps facts every time. Truth trumps facts. Many of the plans in a man's heart. Some of us sit here tonight and we go, but God, what if and, and why not? And, and when are you going to do this? And well, God, I'm, I've been waiting. And, and what about this? And, and what I want to ask you tonight very honestly is, what have you been declaring in your personal life that you think is too hard for the Lord? See, guys, if this is just coming to the service tonight to check a box and get something through the drive-thru, this is a waste of a night. We should right now before a holy God saying, God, what is that for me? not worrying about a joke I told or a word you don't like. We should be sitting here totally surrendered to the Holy Spirit saying, okay, what is that for me? There's something in my marriage. There's something in my finances. There's something in a relationship. There's something in my personal life that for a long time I've been declaring very boldly, maybe not with words, but with every other part of my life, I've been saying, you know what? This is just too hard for the Lord. And I want to encourage you tonight to come and to just leave that at the altar because those things are just facts and facts can change but truth never changes and I encourage you to come and say God take this stuff take this stuff that has arrested me with fear for a long time that's kept me from following you into the land of the unknown and some new territory you're really wanting to take me to on my spiritual journey and to leave it here and go back to your seat and exchange clean to his promises and to his truth we're his kids. 
And he's calling us to live by faith, not fear. To not walk around going, what if, what if, but instead walk boldly saying, God, when? Expecting him to be faithful in his promise and to follow through. Truth trumps facts and circumstances every time. Tonight, we believe that the word of God here demands a response. We don't really do church here just to check a box or to say, that was a great service. Chris's guitar is cool and Chad told a funny story. No, we come here to say, God, you've given us this word that is uh, a GPS. It's a roadmap for our life. And man, it makes great sense. And then we're challenged to take that and go out these doors in a moment and put it to the test and try to apply it to our life. God's word demands a response. And so tonight, we want to give you some ways to respond. And to invite you just to move freely to do that. There's no rules here. We're not worried about tradition and ups and downs and all that kind of stuff. One of those ways is to come here to either side and take communion. To remember that even in those moments where you feel totally faithless, there is a God who is faithful. And we can put total faith in Him and His promises because He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be crucified for us so that we could be forgiven past forgiven, purpose for living, home in heaven. How can we not put faith in that kind of a God? We can also come and give God our offering. Not because he needs it, he's God, he doesn't need anything. But as an act of worship to say, God, I'm all yours. I'm all in. And I'm about you and your work and your ministry and your church and your kingdom. And then you can also come to this altar, which I hope you will, and pray. Grab one of us if you want somebody to pray with you or for you. Come with your spouse. Come by yourself and say, God, here. Here are the facts. Here are the circumstances that have arrested me and caused me to operate on the what-ifs for a long time. And I know you're moving me into some uncharted territory. And so I'm going to leave this here. And I'm going to go back to my seat clinging to your truth and your promises.